Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Oh my goodness, what a passage. This is as blunt as you'll ever see anything in the Bible. It is direct and heartfelt. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Jeremiah says this to his God. O oh Lord, you deceived me. Let me start right there. <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily recommend you say that to God, but the, he's, he's, he's coming from the heart. O oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. Oh, my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O oh Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for these words, as strong as they are. Help us to understand Jeremiah's heart today and your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, From Tragedy to Triumph. From Tragedy to Triumph, Lessons from a Weeping Prophet. <clears throat> I thought this might be fitting after this week. Uh, I found myself thinking this morning, you know, the last four months of winter have been tough. All that snow and ice for four months, it's actually been a week. <laughs> It's supposed to be 77 degrees on Tuesday, three degrees short of 80. <laughs> I love Texas, amen? Uh, but this week seemed to be an awfully long week, did it not? Well, Jeremiah, he struggled with depression in his life. He struggled with discouragement. And it wasn't bad weather. It was something much more severe. And so I want us to look at uh, where Jeremiah was. If you look at the very first verse that I read to you, He's crying out to God. This is his introduction. Oh, Lord, he says, you deceived me and I was deceived. He feels that God tricked him. How could God have tricked him? What is he accusing God of? Can you give me any suggestions? How could God have tricked? What's he accusing God of doing? Deception. What was the deception? All right. Jeremiah was a prophet, not a bullfrog, a prophet. Jeremiah, 
his, his, yes, Mariah. <laughs> he was a prophet. You know that one? He was a prophet during the, the last days of Judah, before Judah was overthrown by Nebuchadnezzar. And God called Jeremiah to give his message to the people. And the message to the people is, this is your last chance. Your last chance. If you don't repent, I'm going to destroy everything. And he was specific. He says, I'm going to let uh, this foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, come in and wipe out everything. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe Jeremiah. They refused to believe that God would allow his own temple to be destroyed. They refused to accept it and believe the message. Now, to be a prophet would be today, I, I'm going to say, because uh, I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to compare it to a modern-day pastor. And so as a pastor, you hope when, when we preach, when I preach, I hope somebody's listening. I hope somebody believes what I have to say. I hope it changes somebody's life. What if, after preaching for years, I realized not one person ever believed a word I ever said? Not one convert. Not one moment of conviction, not one moment of repentance, not one transformed life, nothing. And so I do a survey and I ask people, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people, is there anything I've ever said that impacted you at all? And every one of them unanimously said, nope, <laughs> you did nothing for me, preacher. Well, that would be discouraging. And that's where Jeremiah is. So he goes to God. I think Jeremiah probably thought being a prophet called by God, that's a noble thing. That, that's a respectable uh, a career. And it's going to be great. As a young man, no doubt he had visions of grandeur of what was going to happen when he became God's prophet. And clearly that hasn't happened. And so he lists his grievances to God and why he feels that he was duped in becoming a prophet by God that all the good things that he thought would happen didn't happen. It didn't work out. Maybe there are times in your Christian walk where you might be tempted to say to God, is this how the Christian life is supposed to be? I followed your word. I do what you tell me to do. And now I'm having this struggle or this problem in my life or this catastrophe that is happening. We don't say to God generally, I think you duped me, God. But sometimes we might feel that way. Jeremiah struggled with discouragement for several reasons. One, his message was depressing. There's no, no way around it. Bad news travels fast. And his news was all bad. Secondly, the king hated him. His name was Jehoiakim. Not to, to be confused with Jehoiakim's son. Who, his name was Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin only ruled for three months. He, he didn't last very long. And then we never heard from him again. The king Jehoiakim also had problems with the king of Assyria. And after, after a conflict there, we never heard from him again either. But Jehoiakim did not like Jeremiah. Jeremiah came and shared God's word, had it written on a scroll. And Jehoiakim began to read those words. And he didn't like what he was hearing. All this destruction and gloom. And so he took the scroll piece by piece and ripped it up in front of Jeremiah and threw it into the fire. His friends turned on him. We saw that in the passage this morning. He says, all of my friends are lying in wait for me. Well, that's not a very good friend. 
He didn't have a friend in the world. Jeremiah was instructed by God, by the way, never to marry because God knew what was going to happen to the next generation. And so he, he told Jeremiah, don't even marry. I don't want you having children. So he was alone. And so he had no family and no friends to lean on. At the beginning of chapter 20, he was publicly humiliated, by the way, for his prophecies by the head priest. And so this, I'm, I'm going to read just a few verses before what I just read you. Same chapter, but the beginning of this chapter, he's being punished. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1. Chapter 20, verse 1. When the priest uh, Pashur, son of Emer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of, the, of Benjamin, at the Lord's temple. So Jeremiah was beaten and put in stocks. Now, two things you need to notice from that. Number one, it wasn't from the Babylonians. It wasn't even from the king, King Jehoiakim. It was from the priests. And so he was put in stocks, and it's where that you need to notice. He was put in stocks where? Right at the entrance to the temple. It would be the same. <laughs> If I came next Sunday morning and uh, a bunch of you jumped me and beat me up, and then as people came in, they saw me in stocks out on the front porch. That would, uh, don't do that. I appreciate if you didn't do that. But that would be humiliating. You talk about discouraging. He was beat up by the very people who should have been supporting him the most. He mocked and ridiculed all day long, he said. And so Jeremiah, needless to say, was discouraged. And frankly, again, as I said a while ago, nobody believed him. He didn't have a single convert. For Jeremiah, every year was 2020. For Jeremiah, every week was like this last week, or much worse. Being a prophet just wasn't what he expected. He is known famously throughout the the generations as the weeping prophet. So he seemed to question, why should I bother? What's the point? Have you ever come to that place in your life where you ask that question? Whether you realize it or not, you're posing that question in your life. What is the point of my life? Why should I even bother? Well, Jeremiah felt that way. And maybe you're discouraged. I, I found... <laughs> I found some memes online. I didn't make these memes, by the way. I just found them. Here's one. Discouragement, because there's nothing standing between you and your goal, but a total lack of talent and complete failure will. <laughs> Maybe you feel that way. And the next one, discouragement. You are the wind beneath my wings, otherwise known as turbulence. <laughs> Maybe you feel that way about somebody. Or discouragement. Because uh, encouragement is for wimpy little girly men. How about that? Uh, maybe you feel that way. So why do we get discouraged? All right, take it off of that. Why do we get discouraged? I, I get why Jeremiah was discouraged, but what discourages you? Well, it's been an interesting week, certainly, has it not? We, we are accustomed to certain things. Jeremiah never had to worry about frozen pipes. He didn't have any pipes in his home. He had no running water. He didn't have to worry about his heater not working. He had no heater. But for us, that's, a, that's pretty traumatic 
in our homes. We, we're accustomed to that, we're used to that, and we're not sure what to do. Jerry, I told you, was born in a house that was just much like Jeremiah. She had no running water, no electricity in her house, and, and uh, to this day, she's tough as nails because of that. She's a lot tougher than I am. And so we fall apart pretty easy in our culture. Some people really were in trouble, though, because it was cold, and I do get that. Maybe you're discouraged because of what has been going on. Maybe the pandemic has gotten to you, and you're discouraged because of that, or you're depressed. Maybe you have family problems, relationship problems, personal problems, marriage problems. Maybe you're single and you want to be married, or you're married and you want to be single. I know I've told you before, I had a friend, a good friend of mine in seminary. He was my buddy. We were very close, except he was married and I was single. I was already in my 30s and still single, and he had been married for a while. And to encourage me one day, he came up to me and said, Lee, I remember when I was single, all I could think about was being married. He said, now that I'm married, all I can think about is being single. And maybe you're that way in your life, whether you're single or married, you're just, uh, the grass is always greener and you're discouraged. How do we get discouraged? Maybe you're discouraged because of your health. And for some of us, as you've gotten older, you realize that arthritis isn't gonna go away. That health problem that you have, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. That pain that you have, frankly, isn't going away. And it discourages you. Maybe you had a death in the family. A loved one passed away. It may have been recently or a long time ago, but you just can't seem to get past it. You can't move on with your life and you're discouraged. Maybe it's life in general. You go online, you see the social media posts, or you watch the news, turn on the TV, and it's gloom and despair everywhere you go. Maybe you're like Solomon who in his introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter one, right at the very beginning, he says this pronouncement, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Jeremiah might've felt that way. Maybe you've looked at our society and it's a mess, our politics, um, our lack of faith in God, all the crime, the taxes, the government, financial problems, and it's discouraged you, maybe a midlife crisis that you're having or another crisis in your life. Churches also get discouraged. You know that the majority of churches, it's a slim majority, but the majority of churches are either stagnant or declining in the United States. Our culture in the United States is becoming increasingly secular and godless. Some churches are discouraged and they're just going through the motions week after week. There's no passion, there's no fire. Jesus himself penned letters to the churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches in the first few chapters of Revelation. And one of the things that Christ himself had to deal with in his letters to those churches was that very thing. They were just going through the motions. They were lukewarm or they had lost their first love, their love for Christ. Jeremiah sometimes, I think, perhaps felt very similar about his relationship with God. Now, the question this morning is, if you're discouraged, what do we do with that? How do you process that? How do you get out of that? How do you go from discouragement to encouragement? And we don't have to look far. In this very passage, Jeremiah gives us four clear, simple ways that we can go from one to the other, from 
the bottom of the pit to the top of the mountain. In fact, this passage, if you notice when I read it, is kind of bipolar. <laughs> he goes from lowest, when, when you're telling God, accusing God of deception, that's pretty low. But by the end, he's thrilled, he's happy, he's filled with joy. And so let's take a look at what Jeremiah gives us today in four simple ways to respond to discouragement. Number one is this. Let God set your soul on fire. Let God set your soul on fire. Look with me in verse 9. He says this. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a, a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. and Indeed, I cannot. You know, every time I read this, I find myself wondering, is this a criticism or a compliment? Is this something he's sad about or he's happy about? I, I get the impression that Jeremiah is torn between the two because it sounds kind of like a complaint, but it also sounds kind of like a compliment, and which it really is. Jeremiah says, you know, this message that God has given me is so discouraging. I don't want to preach it. I'm tired of this sermon. I want to say something good. He wanted to be the Joel Olstein of the day. You know, a lot of positivity. He wanted, why does he have to share all that gloom and despair? He, he don't want to do that. And so he says to himself, apparently, I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> can I just shut up? And can I just be quiet and not say anything to anybody? I'm just going to be neutral, mind my own business. He says, but I try to do that. And before long, there's this fire inside of me. I can't contain it. It was the fire of the Holy Spirit of God in him. I find it fascinating that when the Holy Spirit descended upon the very first Christians on that first day of Pentecost, it was signified visually by a fire over their head. There was a fire. There was fire over their head. Not because they were redheaded. <laughs> they literally had what could be seen as fire over their head. The fire of the Holy Spirit had manifested itself in them. And we believe, and the Bible teaches, that when you and I surrender our life to Jesus Christ, that same fire, that same Holy Spirit fills us and never leaves us. Jeremiah recognized there was a fire within him. He couldn't contain it. It was determined to make its way out, as God always does. And so allow the fire of God to fill you. Let God set your soul on fire. That's what Jesus was trying to share with the churches in Asia Minor in, in Revelation. Rekindle that fire. It can be done. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, the psalmist, and I don't have this up there. You'll have to turn to it or mark it for later. Psalm 51, 10 says, create, this is David, create, he's talking to God, create in me, a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, David was man, a, a man who was known as a man after God's own heart. That was a claim to fame. He was passionate about his relationship with God. He had probably a stronger relationship with God than nearly anybody else in the Old Testament over a period of several thousand years. This is a guy who was in the top five, at least, in his passion for his relationship with God. But even David realized there were times in his life where he needed to be renewed. He says, create or renew, he says, a steadfast spirit within 
me. It may be that you need to have your spirit renewed this morning. Number one was let God set your soul on fire. Number two is keep the faith. Keep the faith. Don't turn away from God. As blunt as Jeremiah is with God, I give him credit for this. He didn't abandon his faith. He, he, he acted like or talked like he wanted to be quiet, but in the end, was he quiet? No, no. He did what he needed to do. He said what he needed to say or what he was called to say. He was faithful to his God to the very last hour of his life. Even though things weren't great. He did what he was created to do. And I commend him for that. Keep the faith. Don't turn away from God. Look at what Jeremiah says in verse 11. And it's a huge transition in this passage. After complaining about all, of it, all that's happening to him and his friends and the humiliation and, and the mockery, he says this. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. He says, my friends have betrayed me, but God is with me. The king has uh, torn up my scroll. He won't listen, but God is with me. All my preaching has brought me insult and reproach all day long, but God is with me. For us, in this church, in this nation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what is going on outside this church. If we are on fire for God, we, and we are being obedient to God and doing what God calls us to do and has created us to do, that's all we got to worry about because God is with us. So he says, but the Lord is with me. And this, this, this is a beautiful description. He says, the Lord is with me like what? What does it say? Yeah, he's with me like a mighty warrior. A lot of translations will, will translate it a little more directly. It literally translates, God is with me like a dread warrior. You know how many times in the Bible this term is used? One time, right here. That's <laughs> the only time. He describes God as a dread warrior. You know, we have movies to this very day, Troy, and those kinds of movies, where there are armies that come against one another. And one army will have a particular warrior in that army that is so legendary that the other army, the enemy, is not afraid of the army. They're afraid of that one guy. There was an army like that in the Old Testament. They were Philistines, and there was one guy in their army that everyone was terrified of. He was legendary. What was his name? Goliath. All these thousands of years later, we still remember his name. It was Goliath, and so God's people and God's army were terrified of the Philistines, not because of the Philistines, but because of Goliath. Everybody was terrified of him except for David. David said, who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? He wasn't buying it. He didn't care how tall he was or how big he was or how big his sword was. He wasn't falling for that because he knew God was with him. And Jeremiah is the same way. He says, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Now, Jeremiah was not a big guy. He was not a super strong guy. He wasn't good with the sword. And when they went to put him in stocks, in the stocks he went. He couldn't break out like Samson, but he knew that God was with him. And so he says, God is with me like a 
mighty warrior. I've got a warrior on my side, the ultimate warrior, my God. Um, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember them, they were ordered to bow down to the king's idol, uh, a huge statue the king built in his own honor and required all the people to bow down to that statue. And so there were thousands of people when the trumpet sounded that bowed down to that statue. And then there were three guys standing there in this huge crowd of people all on the ground, except three guys standing there. They stuck out. So they were brought before the king. And the king says, well, I'm going to give you a chance. Defend yourself. What's your defense? This is the response. This is Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, same king, by the way. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is, by the way, that is audacious to say to the king. This, this is their last chance. He's never heard these words before, I assure you. People are usually begging and pleading for their life. They're doing anything the king wants them to do. But they audaciously say, O oh, king, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O oh, king. I love that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around them. Doesn't matter what the threat was, what the punishment was. God was on their side and they knew it. They believed in faith, just like Jeremiah. So what are you feeling today? What are you going through today? What struggle do you have today that is stronger than your God? Don't leave your God and he will deliver you. Don't turn away from God. Number three, cast your burdens to God. Cast your burdens to God. We see this in verse 12. Jeremiah pleaded his case before God, not before the king, not before the priest. He pleaded his case to God. Verse 12, he says, it, that's about halfway down. He says, O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you, I've committed my cause. He says, I appeal to God. I appeal to you. You know, God is the one one being in this universe that can actually change your life. God is the one being in this universe that can give you forgiveness and a second chance in life. God is the one being in this universe that can give you victory over any evil that you face. And so that's what he says. Oh Lord, I appeal to you. Did you know that evangelist Billy Graham once said this because he dealt with discouragement as well? He said this, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me. Or, oh God, help me. Billy Graham himself knew what it was to go before God, tears in his eyes, pleading his heart to God. He knew where to take his case. Today, don't take your case before Facebook or on Twitter. Don't just complain to other people about this or that or whatever. Take your case before your God, someone who can actually do something about it. Don't abandon your God. Of course, you know 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 
that says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God has big shoulders. He can take it. And then lastly, and this is remarkable, right out of Jeremiah, give praise to God. Give praise to God. I told you it was bipolar. If you look with me in verse 13, turn there to verse 13, chapter 20, verse 13. Jeremiah says this, same passage. He says, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So here Jeremiah is singing and he's declaring this is what we should do. He doesn't want to sing in a funeral dirge either. He wants to sing a victory song, victory in Jesus. That way he would have loved that song. He says, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. This may be the most beautiful verse in the Bible. Sing to the Lord. In light of the fact that he's still being persecuted, in light of the fact that things are still going so badly, in light of the fact that nobody believes him, Jeremiah rises above the ashes and says, in faith, sing to God because he will rescue you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter, also a man who knew what it was like to struggle, says it this way, Praise be to, God and, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. He says, you keep your faith on God. You don't put your faith in the government. You don't put your faith in this world. You don't put your faith in your money or in your health. You put it in your God. Remember, you also don't have to figure everything out right now. You and I are complicated beings. We got a lot of problems. It's not just one. It's not just snow or ice. It's not just a pandemic. We got a lot more problems than that. And you don't have to figure everything out today. One day at a time, one challenge at a time, God will see you through. Also know that life isn't easy, but that's okay. Life isn't easy, but that's okay. It is through the adversity and, and the difficulty in life that God teaches us and grows us into the people that we're supposed to be. God is using this world to stretch our faith and grow us into his people. It was the president, uh, uh, one of our presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, who once said, there has never been, there has never yet been a man in our history who led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. This week, our electricity went out in the house and um, we, we live in the parsonage behind the church and it's an older house. And back in the day, and I, they don't do this anymore, I don't think, but back in the day, they made houses, they, they put pipes in the attic. You should never put pipes in the attic because pipes in the attic freeze uh, because it's cold up there. There's no heating or air conditioning in, in the attic. And so it gets hot up there in the summer and it gets cold in the winter. And so there in the house, uh, one day I was, I think it was Wednesday, I was driving up uh, into the parking lot. I was coming home. And as I pulled into the parking lot, I got a call from Cherry. And I answered the phone and I couldn't hear, she wasn't speaking to me, but I could hear screaming in, in the background. 
And it was her, and I could hear Gabrielle hollering as well. I didn't know what was going on, but I could hear this deluge of water. It sounded like they were, they were both under a waterfall, and uh, so they were screaming in the waterfall. That's what I heard. So I thought, oh no, here we go. So I pulled up to the house, I go running in, and what had happened is these pipes had burst in the attic. Now, when they burst, it doesn't immediately fall through. What happens is it fills up your attic with water. And in our old attic, they have this blown-in insulation. You remember that stuff? And so it, it filled up the insulation, and it just got deeper and deeper and heavier and heavier. And finally, the sheetrock can't handle it, and it just all c collapses at once. Down came the sheetrock and the insulation and, what, and the water. What a mess it was. Gabrielle's running out of her room with her electronics to try to save them. And she's trying to dodge the ceiling falling in. And Cherry said, the, the roof is collapsing. And I thought, oh my goodness, we have these huge oak trees over the house. And I thought one of the oak trees has fallen on the house. I, I didn't get it, I'm a little slow. So I ran outside to, to see where the, the tree is and there's no tree, there's no hole in the roof. And then I thought, oh, we have pipes in the attic. One of those pipes, it turns out two pipes had, had busted. And so I, I thought, well, I, I've got to turn off the water main. That's simple, right? It's easy to find. It's right there in the front yard if it hadn't been covered with snow. So there's a nice white blanket of snow over everything. I got no idea where that water main is. So I'm down on the ground. I'm just digging as fast as I can, desperately trying to find something I can shut off. And finally w was able to do that. In light of all of that, the truth is, these are light and momentary problems. Turns out we have insurance, the, the church has insurance on the parsonage. So I called our insurance company and they contacted me back and they said, hey, you know what? You, you, you guys have a, a $2,500 deductible, but you've been a really good customer. So we're waiving that deductible. We're just gonna pay for the whole thing. <laughs> so, you know, God is really good. And, you know, it, it went from a, a dark moment, but it passed very quickly. And those difficulties in your life are going to be the same way. God will be with you through them. Keep your eye and your focus on him. I don't know if your pipes burst or what happened to you this week, but I do know the winter is over. In just a few days or a few weeks, flowers will be blooming. The leaves will be turning green. Spring will be here. And God is still good and in control. Amen. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you this morning, I pray that you would forgive us and help us. Forgive us for those times that we have not come to you with our problems and our concerns. We go to everybody else but you. And we ask and pray that you would help us. Because I know for all of us, there are those in this room and those watching online who feel like Jeremiah. They know exactly how he feels. They feel that they don't have a friend in the world. They feel that others have betrayed them in their relationships. They've been disappointed. Or they're hurting physically, emotionally. Or they may be hurting spiritually just as much. Father, I pray your hand of mercy upon them that they be reminded that we can cast our anxieties on you. Sometimes life, we know, isn't the way we want it to be. But you're still our God. You still love us. You're still on your throne. And we still have hope in Jesus Christ. 
no matter what is going on economically or politically or personally, you're still there and you still love us and always will. Oh, we praise you for that today. Help us to come to you. Even if we're struggling, may we sing with all of our heart joyful songs because you're our God and King. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning to come to your God and King and say, God, I've got this challenge in my life. I give it to you right now. I come to you. I'm not gonna go to Facebook. I'm not gonna go complain to all my family and friends. I come to you right now with this challenge and I give it to you. No matter what, God, I'm going to remain faithful to you. No matter what, I'm gonna give you praise. No matter what, I'm gonna still sing songs to your glory because I trust you. Will you deliver me? God is so faithful. Would you do that this morning? No one's looking around. As you continue to pray, would you stand? And as you stand and as you pray, this invitation is for you. Just spend a few, time, a few moments in prayer to God. Maybe you want to come and kneel and say, God, I'll give this challenge to you. I'm going to trust you. I want you to know I'm not going to leave you. And I know that you're not going to forsake me. And I will trust you. Could be right where you are. You want to give that prayer to God. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus Christ or recommit your life to Him today. You just want to come up and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Or maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to serve Him faithfully here in this place. As we pray right now, this invitation, this opportunity is for you. You come.